All right, we have been talking about kingdom living, and we are on our second beatitude that Jesus talked about. Last week we talked about blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning we move on to our second beatitude, and it was up there. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me have a word of prayer with you. I just feel like I need to pray right now. Father God, we thank you for your presence that has been here. We know that you are among us. We do not take that for granted. We do not take that lightly. Lord, there's been many things that have taken place in the service, and we do thank you, God, for allowing us to live in this country. We do take that for granted. Lord, help us not to. Thank you for these times of reminders. We are still the blessed and most blessed nation on this planet. Lord, we thank you that we have lifted our voices and we've worshipped you and we've praised you this morning. And Lord, you are especially blessed when a little girl got up and spoke about you, God. We thank you. You smiled greatly with that. But now, God, we've come to this point to where I believe there are some things that you want to share with us. Jesus, you shared many words on a hillside some 2,000 years ago, and they are still true today, and you're still sharing these words with us today. God, I pray you'd help me. Help me to speak your words as you would have me speak them. Hide me. We often hear hide one behind the cross. Lord, just hide me behind you. God, I really need my words to be your words and my thoughts to be your thoughts. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word mourn, let me first uh, describe to you that the Greek word that is used to describe uh, the word mourn is the strongest word that they can find in the Greek language. Uh, the word for mourn in the Greek language is used when describing the death of someone that is near and dear. So when Jesus used these words, when he stood on the hillside many years ago and he said, blessed are you who mourn, he was trying to convey this feeling that one even has whenever there's been a death in the family. You and I, perhaps, I've been around those who have mourned the loss, an unexpected loss of a loved one. Maybe some of you have been there at that moment and um, you feel the depth of their pain and their sorrow. It's a, it's a kind of grief that is so powerful that it's, it's even hard to hide. It actually makes your heart hurt and ache. So in essence, what Jesus is saying here is, Blessed are you when you mourn as one mourns for the dead. Seems like a rather cold-hearted thing to say on Jesus' part, isn't it? 
Why on earth would he say something like that? Again, remember, they were coming by the droves and he was drawing great crowds. And we talked a couple weeks ago how they thought it was going to be that dine-in theater experience and all-you-can-eat buffet. And, and uh, they, were, they were waiting for another show. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those of you who mourn. There are many right now over in England who are mourning greatly, are they not? Some members of 22 individuals, and they are mourning the way that we're talking about this morning. This is Memorial Day. Daryl, you do an excellent job when you come up here. And thank you for your heart. A great reminder. Yes, it's, it is Memorial Weekend, and it's no, it's just not another time to, off work or time to go have a good time with your family and the picnic, and that's all part of it. But we have recently lost some military soldiers due to combat missions over there. And while we're enjoying this time and while we're eating our hamburgers and hot dogs and everything tomorrow, there are families who are mourning, like we were talking about this morning, that Jesus is referring to mourning. There are several different interpretations as to what this means. You're saying, okay, what did Jesus really mean by this? There could be several different interpretations. One is that it could be taken literally to mean uh, this right here. Oh, it just stuck on me again. All right, Ryan, I'm going to have to ask you to advance it for me. There you go. Blessed are those who have endured the bitterest of sorrows that life can bring. That's one way that we can look at this. We've heard the expression that while the mountaintops are beautiful, nothing ever grows there, right? Nothing grows on the mountaintops. It's only in the valleys where the grass is green and where the pastures and the fields are lush. We understand that. There are certain things which only the rains will produce and certain experiences which can only come out of sorrow. Sorrow can produce two things for us. It can show us the essential kindness of others, and it can show us the comfort and the compassion of God. Our family has recently experienced this with the loss of my mother-in-law. The expressions of love and care that we saw from many of you, from family, was at times amazing. But we've also experienced the strength and the compassion that our God can give. And He continues to give and He continues to help sustain us as we continue on in our journey. That's just one interpretation. Blessed are those who have endured the bitterest of sorrows that life can bring. Another interpretation, Brian, you're going to have to be my point man. Blessed are those who are desperately sorrow, sorry for the sorrow and the suffering of this world. Last week I talked about that when one accepts Jesus Christ, they find that over time they begin to detach themselves from the things of this world. But may we not be confused, may we never detach ourselves from people either. I'm always impressed whenever I see natural disasters and people just running in droves 
to, to help these people that are in great need. And perhaps that's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn. It's, it's like they, they go to try and help them as much as they can, and they help bring comfort. Church of God has a disaster relief team to where we try to go to places of disaster and try and help them. But while all of these truths, these interpretations are true, and there is some validity in them, I think there is something different here. I think Jesus had something else in mind when he was speaking this. See, if we were to read through verses 1 through 12, those are the words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you would see that those verses have a distinctly spiritual connotation about them. That Jesus is talking about the heart. Again, remember that these are the words of the king, the manifesto of the king. These are the, uh, the Magna Carta of the kingdom. Jesus is talking about what it is to be in the kingdom and live in the kingdom. He's talking about the matters of the heart. So I think that perhaps there is something else that Jesus meant here. I believe when he said these words, he was saying that we need to have a sorrow over sin. How appropriate Cheryl's children's message talked about sin. I believe Jesus was saying that we need to have a sorrow over sin, matters of the heart. Ryan, if you could progress me. I believe he was saying is, blessed are those who mourn over sin and the effects of sin. You see, the main reason, the main reason that Jesus came was not to heal the sick. It was not to bring the dead back to life. It was not to comfort mankind as mankind went through the different difficulties of life. Folks, the main reason that Jesus came was to take care of the sin problem once and for all. That's it. That's the main reason that Jesus came. Now, Jesus did the miracles. He had compassion on those who needed compassion. He did all of those things because He is a God of love and compassion. But He also did it as a, as a way, as a means to pull their heart into Himself. To save their souls. Listen, it all comes back to getting people saved, does it not? That's what it all comes back to. But I believe this is what Jesus was talking about in this beatitude. One cannot be saved unless they become broken, unless they become sorry, unless they mourn over their own sin. I don't, I don't intend to make any enemies, um, but you and I know of churches that they don't like that talk. I, I've been around individuals who uh, they do not believe that we should be uh, talking about any kind of shame or any kind of guilt. Let's not put a guilt trip on anybody. That's not what it's about. Let's just talk about the love of Jesus Christ. While I agree that it should not be our intention to shame anyone, to convict anyone, or to guilt anyone See, the Holy Spirit will do that Himself. Holy Spirit takes care of that. But we have to understand that we are born sinners. Our hearts are born black with sin. 
Think about the thoughts of mankind and, and the things that man thinks about. Now, think about this. Those of us who are believers, we have enough trouble with our own thoughts at times, do we not? We don't want somebody peering into our minds to know what our thoughts are. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But think about what the thoughts of a, of a sinful mankind can do. Those thoughts then turn into action. Actions that can lead to horrible, selfish, carnal, ugly deeds. We continue to see it with tragedy after tragedy in our country and around the world. What is possible for carnal, the carnal mind to do? I do not believe that one can truly accept the free grace of Jesus Christ until they see themselves for who they are and they see themselves for what they are. We talked about this last week. Until they see themselves poor in spirit, until they see that they are nothing, they have nothing, that they are helpless, they are hopeless, they are Wretched without Jesus Christ. And when you realize that, you realize and you begin to mourn over the condition of your heart. This is just not Pastor Brock's words. Second Corinthians 7 tells us, For even if I made, Paul said, For even if I made you sorry with my letter. He was writing a letter to the Corinthians. He said, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but here we go, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. We see this on the day of Pentecost. All those that were gathered in the upper room that day, there were believers there, but there were unbelievers as well. And as the Holy Spirit came down, they began to speak in tongues, which, by the way, we believe is a known language, but that's a different time for a different topic, all right? It's a known language. They heard them speaking in their own language. They thought, how can this be? But there were some, there were unbelievers that were on the periphery. They were on the outside. They thought, what on earth is going on? They must be drunk. They must be drinking. Something's not right here. And, the, and Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, who had no guts before, all of a sudden stands up in front of these people, and he just basically tells them the way that it is. And if you were to read Acts chapter 2, he just begins to tell them what all has taken place. And he looks at these people, and he says, you are the ones that crucified him. I believe there were those there in the upper room that were also there in the praetorium whenever they cried out to crucify Jesus Christ. Because Peter said in Acts chapter 2, you are the ones that crucified Jesus Christ. And so he was telling them that this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And it said that their hearts were so cut to the quick. Matter of fact, it tells us in Acts. Go ahead, Ryan. Acts chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Spirit. Folks, I believe that this is kind of what Jesus was talking about when he said, blessed are those who mourn. As we talked about last week, anyone who has yet to accept Jesus needs to understand how utterly poor, helpless, and hopeless they are without him. That they have absolutely nothing to give. This realization should then produce a sorrow that is so deep, so intense, that they will literally mourn. They will literally beg God for His mercy and for His grace. You see, that which really changes people is when they suddenly come up against something which opens their eyes to who they are and what they've been doing. I'm reminded of the story in Luke chapter 15. You don't have to turn there right at the second. We all know the story of the prodigal son. Know the story. Here we have a two boys. One, the younger son, goes up to his dad and says, Dad, I know you've been saving a lot of money for me, but I want my inheritance now. I think I deserve it now. I don't care what your plans are, but I want the money now. Now, <laughs> um, I don't know how I would handle that as a parent, but this father showed a whole lot more restraint than I would have showed at that time. Um, back at the, we used to be, now I know this individual is going through some scandals right now, but back in the day, we used to watch Bill Cosby. Okay. How many you like you watched Bill Cosby? Some of you did. You might remember that episode, Parker. You know I'm going to talk about. It's one of our favorite scenes when Theo, his son, gets an attitude with Bill in his bedroom, and they start talking about some things. And, he, and Theo begins to kind of tell his dad how his dad should be thinking. And Bill Cosby looks at him and he says, "Son, I brought you into this world, and I can take you right back out too." <laughs> right. <laughs> And if I would have been that father and this son comes up to me and says, I want my money now, I would have said, son. (laughs) But he showed restraint. And he gave the son the money. And you know the story. It tells us that he went out and he spent it. It said that he spent it in prodigal living. Prodigal is just a word that means reckless spending. And then after he had spent everything that he had, says that there was a great famine in the land. And he found himself without money, without food, without a job, in a foreign land. It said that he went far away and he didn't know what to do. He found a man out in the country that probably owned a farm and it said that he agreed to help this man probably for food just to, just to be able to survive. He agreed to help this man and he found himself feeding the pigs. And it says that while he was feeding the pigs, he looked at the pods or the husk that he was giving the pigs, and that began to look very appealing. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard this, but a pod or a husk is the fruit from a carob tree. It's about the width of your finger, and it's about four to six, six to eight inches long. It looks like a little horn. And uh, what it was used, it was sold in the market, and it, it has like a leathery uh, skin to the out, outside part of it. And on the inside, there are seeds, there are pods. And they would sell it in the market 
mainly to those who were farmers who had cattle. It was cattle feed. It was to feed the pigs. But it also was used and purchased by those who were poor. And here is this young man sitting here feeding these pigs, thinking, boy, that looks awful good. He had gotten to a point to where he had nowhere to look but up. And then it says, In verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? That's the moment, church, that he began to mourn over the condition of his soul. That's the moment it hit him. That's the moment that he realized how poor in spirit he really was. A rebellious child, a wayward child. Maybe some of you are dealing with that right now. They often go their own way, never thinking of the effects or the consequences. But then one day, something happens and they're confronted with who and what they are. And there's a deep sense of mourning that sets in. Listen, entrance into the kingdom begins with this deep sense of sin. And what Jesus is saying in this, blessed are those who mourn. He said, blessed are those who are intensely sorry for their sin. Those who are appalled and heartbroken for what their sin has done to God and their loved ones. When this happens, a sinner can receive forgiveness resulting in peace, joy, and comfort. I've been in services before to where people have literally run to the altar. I would love to see that again someday. Those are those times to where the individual is so overcome with conviction, so overcome with the power and the presence of God, so overcome with the ugliness of their sin. They can't wait. They've got to get it taken care of. And I believe Jesus was saying, Blessed are you when you mourn over the condition of your heart. Because when you do that, then you're going to be comforted. But let me then kind of close with this. I'll try and be as quick as I can. I also believe that this scripture verse applies to not just the one living in sin, But I believe it also applies to those willing to mourn and pray for those that are in sin. I go back to the prodigal son. A character that is often forgot about is the father. In this story, I can only imagine the day that he watched his son leave. I think his son was heartbroken. I think the father was heartbroken. I mean, he watched him go. And back in those days, back in ancient uh, Israel, the the houses didn't have roofs like this. They had flat top. They, They had flat roofs. And many times they would go up there and they would lay out food to dry or they would, uh, uh, put various furniture up there. But I believe that the day that he saw his son walk off his property, I believe that father went up on his roof and he just laid prostrate on the, on the roof there. And I began, he, he began to cry out to God. 
he began to mourn for his son. Day after day, he probably made his way up to that roof. And he began to cry out to God, God, send me my son back. See, blessed are those who mourn, who will become burden bearers for an individual in their life. For those who choose to mourn for others, for those who choose to beg for God's mercy, for those of you who choose to stand in the gap, know that your efforts, what your efforts are doing is you you are unleashing the Holy Spirit to become a powerful force in that situation. You are unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit to set into motion various steps, various events that can bring that loved one face to face with who they are. Leading them to see themselves in the light of the cross. And I believe Luke 15, I think it's up there, Ryan. And he arose and came to his father, thinking of, talking about the prodigal son, But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. You see, I believe that day after day, his father interceded for his son. His father mourned. His father took on that burden for his son. And when it said in verse 17, it says that the prodigal son, when he came to himself, That's the moment we're looking for, isn't it? I believe he came to himself when his father was on his knees. I believe he came to himself. He realized what he had been doing. He realized the poorness of his spirit. I also believe it's because his father prayed. His father's knees were worn out because he had a burden for his son. Many of you have heard the name um, Jim and Carol Cimbala. Um, Jim is, a, is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tab- Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. Carol Cimbala is the famed choir director of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And if some of you may have heard this story, but I think it fits with this message. Several years ago, Jim tells a story about their daughter, Chrissy, who was 17, 18 years, at the, years old at the time. And they said Chrissy went wayward and she turned her back on the Lord. And he said, Jim said, him and Carol went on about a two, two and a half year, just nightmare. They stayed in contact with Chrissy, but there were many times, there were many nights to where they didn't know where their daughter was, they didn't know what she was doing. And as a parent, especially mothers, 
I, I know Stephanie has often said, it just feels good whenever all my kids are in the same house, under my, on my roof, and I just feel good about that. And, but Jim said they didn't know where she was at oftentimes, and he said him and Carol began to just mourn over their daughter. That he often would leave the house and drive to the church. And he said, I knew that what I was driving to. He said, I was driving to a church to where there are going to be crack addicts and drug addicts and marriages that were crumbling and uh, families that needed help. And there was abuse taking place in the home. And he said, I knew what I was walking into. But he said, whenever I left the house until I got the church, he said, I would just weep. And I would just bawl like a baby. He said, but somehow, some way, God always lifted me up and gave me what I needed at that moment to get through the moment. He said, we tried everything under the sun to get through to Chrissy. He said, we, we screamed at her. We begged her. We tried to bribe her. We tried everything that we knew, but he said, it just got worse. Sometime during this period, Carol Simbola had to have a hysterectomy. And that comes with complications and and he tells in the testimony, he said, you know, with all the emotional swings and up and down, he said that was so difficult for us. And he said, and then Satan began to attack Carol. See, at this time, Jim and Carol, they were building the church, and it was very popular at the time. It was growing like gangbusters, and the, the choir was just having tremendous success. And Carol says that Satan jumped on her, and Satan began to tell her things like this. Yeah, you can have your ministry. You can have your successful ministry. You can have your choir. But he said, but I'm coming after your kids. I've already got one. And Carol began to fall for that. And one day she walked in the house and she looked at Jim and she said, I don't know about you, but I'm leaving. Are you coming with me? I can't do this anymore. I can't stand this place. This place is killing us. It's, it's killing our kids. Somehow, way, they got through that moment. About two years later, Jim said he took a trip down to Florida, felt like he needed to get away, and he said it was during that time that he believed God told him, he said, Jim, I've been hearing your prayers for two years now. He said, I don't want you no more pushing, no more scratching, no more clawing, no more trying to force this situation. He said, I've got it. Just let me have it. And Jim said he felt strongly impressed that he was not to have any contact with Chrissy again until she walked through his front door. The Brooklyn Tabernacle has a prayer group that meets on Tuesday nights. And this is just not sing a couple songs, you pray for five minutes. They'll often have 1,000, 1,200 people show up on a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And he said, sometime in February, they were having a prayer meeting. And in the middle of a prayer meeting, someone handed him a note. And it was a, it was a lady from the church. And the note said, I feel strongly impressed that we need to stop what we're doing and we need to pray for Chrissy right now. He said he had to think about it. He didn't want it to be self-serving. But he thought that it was of God. And so he stopped and, and he told everyone that not everybody had known about his daughter, and he said, I need you to pray for my daughter. He said, she's away from the Lord. He said, to her, up is down and down is up. Black is white and white is black. 
And he said that night, those thousand plus people, he said that room was turned into a labor room. We've often heard that Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. Well, it became a house of prayer. I also believe it became a house of mourning that night. But he said that church just pressed in and they would not let go. And they came against the forces of evil and the forces of darkness. And he said it turned into a labor room. And he went home that night and told Carol, he said, I believe it's over. The next day, he was in his bathroom upstairs shaving when Carol yelled up. He said, she said, Jim, get down here. Chrissy's in the kitchen. He wiped off shaving cream from his face. He went downstairs and there was Chrissy laying on the kitchen floor. And he went up to her and she grabbed his pant leg. And she said, oh, daddy. She said, forgive me. She says, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and mom. Would you please forgive me? She said, God woke me up in the middle of the night and showed me a vision of myself and showed me that I was headed toward a great chasm that had no end. And she said, I knew that it was time to get right with God. But she said, Daddy, who was praying for me? She said, I know someone was praying for me last night at the Tuesday night prayer meeting. Who was praying for me, Dad? I believe because Jim and Carol mourned for their daughter. Because they were willing to just lay it all out there before God. And it was a two and a half year journey. And Jim said he knew it was his daughter that had come back because of the look on her face. He knew it was his old Chrissy. Today, Chrissy is married. Her and her husband are in the ministry. They have children. God has worked in a mighty way. And, and I believe that Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are willing to pay a price. Blessed are those who are willing to beg and to plead God to move mightily in their life, to move mightily in someone's life that is important to them. Oftentimes it's only when a church or when a mom or a dad becomes so grief-stricken, when we mourn over the loss of a loved one, when someone strays from God, that we usher in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that night that all of heaven stood at attention while the saints of God prayed and got a hold of Chrissy's heart that night and woke her up. Folks, there's power in prayer. There is power when we agree to mourn. There is power in that. A.W. Tozer said this, When the Lord releases a man, he is free. And until he is released, you cannot sing him free. You cannot pound him free. You cannot preach him free. And you cannot give him free in any way known to mortal man. Yet the church spends millions of dollars every year putting on religious stuff in order to try to get people free. One simple act of the Holy Spirit will free a man, free him forever and turn him loose. And you can go to God and get bold about it. And I know it's hard. Some of you may have been 
morning for something for a long time. There's been no change. I'm reminded of the Bill and Gloria Gaither song. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping only lasts for the night. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. The darkest hour means dawn is just in sight. The third chapter of Ecclesiastes says there is a time and a season for many things under the sun. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And then it says in verse 4, there is a time to mourn, and then it says there's a time to dance. I believe the opposite of mourning is dancing. You think that the prodigal son's father wasn't dancing the day that he saw his son walking down the path? He was dancing. You don't think Jim and Carol Cimbala were dancing that morning in their home when Chrissy came back to the Lord? I told this story not long ago, and this afternoon I'm going home to be with my family, and, and, and he'll be there. But do you think that our family wasn't rejoicing when my nephew Jacob finally stopped running from the Lord and came to Jesus Christ? Our family was dancing because of Jacob's return. Praise the Lord. When sinful and disobedient hearts are made right with God, there is rejoicing. Ryan, Jeremiah 31, 13, For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. And Psalm 30 says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. I believe this is the morning that Jesus was referring to. Could be other interpretations. But this can happen. This is what can happen when one mourns over their own sin. They can be comforted when they accept Jesus. And this is also what happens when people choose to carry a burden. When people choose to mourn over their family. So in closing this morning, I ask you, is there something in your life that you need to mourn over? Is there something that's so deep and heavy on your heart that you know that God is is calling you to go into this time of mourning, this time to where you're not going to let go, you're not going to stop praying, you're not going to stop asking until God answers? I don't know. I'm going to sing a song. Um, I don't sing a whole lot anymore. I just my mind's so focused on what I'm doing up here. But this song, I may have done this before here. I don't know, but I think it just it goes perfect with the message. But if there's something that God is pressing on your heart this morning, kind of what we're now starting to do. If you're wanting someone to pray with you, if you're wanting a hand on your shoulder, if you're just wanting someone to pray with you, come to this side of the altars. This side of the altars. Just, just pray at this time. And, but if you just want to pray by yourself, just come over here. No one will bother you. This can just be a time between you and the Lord. But perhaps there's someone. I know the hour is late. But realize the Spirit of God is moving right now. 
God may be speaking to someone right now. Or maybe you just, you had that burden for someone else that you just want to continue to ask God to help in that situation and just move in a mighty way. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father God, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Holy Spirit, I believe that at times in our life, maybe it's not right now for some, maybe it is right now for some, but at times in our life, you call us to go up on our roof. You call us to go into our prayer closet. God, you call us to get a hold of heaven and not let go until you answer. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to do that. Maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to enter into that time. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to mourn over their own sin, their own rebellion, their own wayward way of life. God, this could be the morning that they leap, that they dance, that they are comforted, that they are are joyful. Lord, we thank you. Your will be done. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm just going to have you stay seated. I know people are coming now even as we are going into this time. Go ahead, Brian. Just be obedient to God. Yeah. It's just between you and the Lord, folks. know me my son gets a lot of the story he went away right here I stayed and kept the whole fires burning in the heat of the day at night the same way I just kept praying Life is hard I am so sad You see I'm the prodigal's dad I hear them saying By now his life is only a memory It's been so long All hope is gone Of him ever returning But I still make my way To the roof every day Watching and praying Maybe soon I'll be glad For you see I'm the prodigal's dad. Then one day in the distance, wandering unrecognized, because he'd been mangled and bruised by the world, except in his father's eyes. 
And while he was yet a great way off, this father saw him. I saw him and I ran and I fell. I fell on his neck, oh, and I kissed him. A new pair of shoes I put on his feet. And though he gave up, I still believed. And the one that they said, he's as good as dead, has come back to me a new pair of shoes I put on his feet and though they gave up I still believed and the one that they said he's as good as dead has come back to me I was so sad, now I am glad. You see, I'm the prodigal's dad. Just remain in an attitude and spirit of pray. Ken, I don't know if you can just have some music going in the background at this time. Father God, this is your time. Yeah. A time for us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Yes, God. Oh God, that we would choose to mourn. God, there are physical illnesses that will come and go and physical illnesses that will last throughout this life and financial burdens and emotional burdens. And, but God, none of those things will last in eternity. Jesus, I believe that you were talking about the heart. You were talking about the soul. God, you were talking about the things of eternity. God, there are times when you will call all of us to mourn, to beg, to plead. God, right now, I believe there's those at this altar who are begging, that are pleading. Lord, they're going into a time of mourning. God, I pray that you would help them. Reassure them of your presence, God. Reassure them of who you are and that you indeed are working. Yeah, God. I'm so glad that there's the other side. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God, would you be our comfort? Would you be our peace? Would you be our contentment? We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name that we pray. We're just going to allow them to continue to pray. Listen, you are dismissed, but I'm going to ask that you leave Christ.